0: So that is a song. It, it, the very first thing that I had in my notes to talk about today was, Do You Want More? And the, and the band had already prepared to sing this song, We Need You More. Uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are those that hunger and seek for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you hungry? Are we hungry as people of God, as a church, as individuals? Are we hungry? Do we want more? Because God's an infinite God. There's no end to God. We'll we'll go to heaven someday and, and we'll live out, because we'll have life. We'll live out eternity. It's never going to end. And a million years from now, ten million years from now, a gazillion years from now, God will continue to be revealing Himself to us because He's infinite. That more guaranteed. This more not guaranteed. And that's the gist of today's message is, are we hungry? Do we want more? When we see these situations like God will put in front of us for the one, it requires God. God, I need you more, more than yesterday, more than the day before, because God's marching us forward into the things of the world that he wants to have be different. We can't do that on our own. There is no fleshly power that exists that will overwhelm the evil in this world to cause it to be on earth as it is in heaven. God has an army, it's us. He has an anointing that he gives for us. We carry his spirit. We were talking earlier this week about... um, None of this is in my notes, by the way. It's why I can't remember the scripture. Oh, where Jesus says, or, or the Bible says, that God jealously desires the spirit that he's placed inside of you always been perplexed by that scripture. It's like it's his spirit. How could he jealously desire it? And all of a sudden I had this thought about Bill Johnson, and he preaches that the Holy Spirit is trapped inside unbelieving believers. So they believe enough to get saved, but they don't believe enough to necessarily make a difference. So this spirit that takes up residence inside their person to change the world, the power to change the world, can't get out. Because when they see the sick person, they don't believe to pray that they'll be delivered. I've prayed for so many sick people that haven't gotten healed, it makes me nuts. I need more. I need to know God more. I want to know Him in His person more. Just like Teresa. I don't want to have a casual relationship with my wife. I want to know my wife. I want to know what she likes and what she doesn't like. I want to know what makes her smile and what makes her frown. And actually, as a husband, someday I'd like to quit doing the things that make her frown. But... I want to know her, and I want to know God like that. I want to know him more and more. I want to know his power. I want to know the, the faith and the confidence that comes when he puts the one in front of me, and maybe it's Debbie with that cancer, and I just know that I know that I know that it's time for the cancer to go. I want to know God's power that way. I want to have intimacy with him. I want to be able to go in that secret place and hear the still small voice. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want will I give, will I sacrifice to have the more? We need him more. How horrible would it be to have the compassionate heart of Jesus and not the power of the Holy Spirit to do something about that what breaks your heart every time you see it? We definitely, we got to have him more. we got to have him more. I had questions. I, I, I probably shared some of them with you already. Are we hungry? Do we want more? Jesus, when he was a child, you might know the story from the Gospels. Um, You've read it. Uh, His family goes to Jerusalem. I don't even remember what they went there for. Maybe it was for the Passover. And they have the big thing, and they head out back towards Galilee in their caravan. And (laughs) being the awesome parents that Mary and Joseph are, two or three days into the journey, they realize, Hey, where's Jesus? (laughs) I thought you had him. He wasn't with them. They had to turn around and they and they went back to Jerusalem to find him. And they found him with these Pharisees and these really high end religious guys. And he was asking them these questions. They couldn't even understand the question. Well, they understood the questions. They couldn't understand that they were coming from a child. I think he was like 12 years old at the time. When they found him, they're like, "Why did you disrespect us like this? Geez, we we're worried about you. we were halfway back to you know Jericho. No, excuse me, Nazareth. Oh, and and we figured out you weren't here." And he said. Didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? At 12 years old, he had to be about his father's business. He had something to do that was about his heavenly father's business. He stayed in Jerusalem to get it done. We need to be about our father's business. I asked myself this question. Are things that are important to God important to me? And is my relationship with God more or less about him or about me? And honestly, I don't know for sure the answer to those questions. I do know for sure, though, that if the right answer is about him, that I'm moving in that direction. My prayer life is different. The things that that concern me, that I would cry out to the Lord for, have changed dramatically. I'm sure the same is true for you. But I'm not so sure that I can say, um, J.D. asked a question. Uh, you know, are are we about God? Are we giving everything to God? I'm not so sure I can say yes to that. But I do know that I'm moving in that right direction and that I believe that as I surrender more, God will give me more. If we really want more, there's a couple of, well, probably there's a ton of places, but a couple that just struck me, um, one from experience and one from memory, in the scriptures. One is in Deuteronomy. Chapter 4, verse 29. This is this verse. Let me put it in context for you a little bit. Israel again has wandered away from the Lord. They're worshiping idol gods. They're, they're not following him. They're not being obedient to his commands. And when he says, but from there, he's talking about that place in their heart where they've literally just dishonored, disgraced, walked away from him. God says to them, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If, so important, watch the ifs and the, and the thens in scriptures. You see what comes after the, the thens, and we call them promises of God, and they are, but, but they follow then. You need to look backwards for the if. It's an if and then situation that the Lord is offering to us. I place before you blessing and curse if you follow these commands that I give you. Back on track. Uh, if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul, so our hearts—if we—if we, if we want to find God, if we truly want to get to that place of knowing Him, we have to search Him with all our heart and all our soul. The heart is the center of who we are. It's literally the center of our being. It's—it's it's not just this organ that beats and, and provides us physical, natural life. In the—in in scriptural terms, it's—it's it's literally everything that we are. Search for him with everything that we are. And then it says that we would search for him with all of our soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So if we're bent on finding God, on seeking him and knowing him the way that we really, really should want to know him, and I promise you, the more he reveals himself to us, the more we'll be hungry to know him. That's why we pray so much for literal experience with God, literal touching. There are people that believe that Christianity is walking through your natural life by faith, believing, and serving this loving God that would never touch you, that would give you a sense of touch. It would give you an emotional uh, senses, would give you ears and eyes, but, but never would ever touch them himself. And, and that's not God. God wants us to know him. He wants us to draw near to him, that he might draw near to us. Near is more than just a state of mind that says, oh, I trust that you're near." Man, I want my children to know my touch. I cannot hug Annika enough. I want her to know love because I speak it, because I live it for her, but because I, I hug her, there's power in hugging and touching and, and feeling, and God wants us to feel them. I pray that we will have experience, literal, tangible experience, because when you experience, if somebody said, I'm trying to think of some ugly food that tastes really good, you know, you looked at oysters maybe, which, you know, I wouldn't give that an A for looks or taste. But some people love oysters. Well, you look at an oyster and you're like, you're not too interested in having any of that. But if you're an oyster person and you taste them and they taste really good, you'd want to have some more because you'd had a, an experience with the oyster that caused you to want more. Well, that's the way God is. If we can get ourselves to a place of surrender, a place of worship, a place of grace that we can experience Him, the little taste will cause us to want to have a bigger taste. And the bigger taste, an even bigger taste. And that's the thing, I think, that draws us and draws us in, that gives us the motivation to want to do some of the hard things that we have to do to have the things of God. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Um, I got the dictionary out. It's interesting, the mind as a noun, if you use the word mind as a noun... That is that which is responsible for one's thoughts and feelings, the seat of faculty or reason. So, from our place of reasoning, we should seek God as a verb to be concerned with or about something or somebody. So, the verb of mind is literally to concern our thoughts about God, about the person of God. That's how we find Him with our mind. Our will is fixed or is demonstrated by a fixed and persistent intent or purpose the capability of conscious choice and decision and intention. So God has given us free will, right? That's the difference between, I don't know, it's probably someplace I don't want to go. He's given us free will. We can choose him or we can not choose him. In the process even of choosing him, we continue to have free will. And what he says is, seek me with all your will, with everything you have. Make a conscious decision that I am the important, that the treasure that you seek is in him. And you'll find him. And the last is your emotions, the seat of our, of our, of our uh, strong feelings. And it's interesting because all these things are tied together. If we're not careful with our emotions, they will trick our mind, and that will cause our will to go in a bad direction. So many times people, in their emotions, they feel emotionally, I feel this, you hurt me, you whatever. You have to be conscious that with our emotions, we have to chase God with our emotions consistently with the truth that we find in his word. Otherwise, the emotion will mess with the mind and the will and get us to a place that's not truly God, and we won't find him. Mind, will, and emotions. Uh, the second scripture that I wanted to read to you is 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and it's the first half, 31a. And this is in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is, t- is teaching the, the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts, about tongues and interpretations, about faith and about miracles and healings and all the different gifts of the Holy Spirit that we can uh, exercise in our walk with the Lord, helping to edify the church and to see that his will be done. And he says that we should earnestly desire the greater gifts. That's, that's the verse 31a. that that we should earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I've been praying, I mean, before Church on the Street was a church, I've been praying that we would be a church that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is manifest. I don't believe that we can be uh, effective as a church or as Christians without the total empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But I've never been any place where I've actually seen that. I've heard about it. I've heard testimonies about God's power. But but my personal experience is very limited in that area. So I don't really know what all that looks like. I just know that we need it. So I've been praying and praying and praying. And then I I come upon this scripture maybe six months ago. It said, earnestly desire. And And I thought to myself, well, maybe I'm just not desiring enough. Right. If you read in, in the scriptures, I think it's Luke 11 and Matthew 6 for sure, where Jesus is teaching on praying, and he talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. And if you look in the, in the original Greek, it's really continuously ask, continuously seek, and continuously knock. Ask and it will be answered. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. And then it goes a little further, and he tells two parables. One parable is about this guy has a guest come and visit him in the middle of the night and he's got nothing to offer the guy so he runs outside he goes to his neighbor's house and he raps on the door and he says hey i got a guest but i got no bread i need some bread and the neighbor he goes hey i'm in bed man my kids are asleep we shut down for the day go away i'm not bringing you any bread and the guy he's like my son joe i think god knows joe and he just beats on the door beats on the door beats on the door and he's like you don't understand i gotta have some bread finally the guy gets up you know, lights a lamp, gets some bread, gives him some bread. Scripture says that the guy didn't do it because he's a good neighbor. He did it because that guy was so persistent in his asking that he got what he was asking for. The second parable that follows it is about this widow and this unjust judge. And she needs justice from her opponent, I think it says. And so she goes to the judge. But the judge, it says, doesn't. Uh, respect God or man so he could care less about this lady's problem doesn't want to be bothered but she keeps coming and she keeps coming and she keeps coming and she keeps coming and finally he says I gave her what she wanted because she was going to wear me out I think that's the female picture of my son Joe to be quite honest with you Joe is like a freight train he, he gets that concept so anyway those are the things that were in my mind when I'm reading earnestly desire it's like Lord you know I've been praying once a week maybe I've got to pray every day Maybe I'm not persistent enough in my prayer, but I really haven't seen in my own life, or or in our church, to be quite honest with you, what I think the full manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. So I'm praying some more. It's like, Lord, I used to see miracles all the time. I used to pray for people and see them get healed, and now not so much. And you know the story about fasting, right? I say, Lord, you know... How do, I, how, how do I get that back? And, and I hear this little voice that said, fasting. And, I, and I'd say, no, nope, different answer, please. Fast, fast. I'd say, no, nope, that's not it. It's got to be something different. I said, I want to fast. But that's the word that kept coming to me, fasting, fasting, fasting. And that's the gist of the message today. Um, Jessica has been hearing from the Lord for probably a year. Would you say it's been that long? Since we started. Since we started that as a church body, we need to fast. But I had lost that discipline in my life. And right or wrong, I have a really hard time asking you to do something that I'm not already doing myself. So um, I am fasting now. And and I'm I'm about to ask you to start fasting. Before I do, though, let's share some scripture. Earnestly desire. Huh, I should have read this. This was good. I went to the dictionary for this. Listen to about earnest. You've heard of, like, if you ever went to buy a house, right? Not not a down payment necessarily, but earnest money. You'd give the banker earnest money. It's like, here's some skin in this game. I want this house. If I change my mind, I don't get that back. It's It's a sacrifice, so to speak. It says, to provide something of value, to bind a contract or demonstrate serious intent, a willingness to give something up, to sacrifice in order to gain something of greater value earnest, to earnestly desire? Are we willing to sacrifice that we might have more of God? Romans 12.1. I always, I love Romans 12.2. I never quote 12.1. 12.1 12, says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Will we present a hungry body to God as our spiritual service of worship, sacrifice? I think this scripture might just, for me, I, I didn't, almost didn't put it in here, but in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, 19, Paul is speaking, and he says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose god is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Sometimes I wonder: is is my belly my god? Am I really more concerned with I want to I don't want to miss a meal than I want to see God's power manifest in His church more? And, and to me, that is just a really serious rebuke. That scripture that Paul says, walk as I walk. Now, he might not have been talking about fasting, or he might have been talking about a whole bunch of things, including fasting, but the example that he used in that course of scripture was, is your appetite, is your belly your God? Mine needs to not be my God. In Luke chapter 5, so we just read this a couple weeks ago, 33 through 35, And they said to him, so they're they're talking, they're asking questions to Jesus. The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. So he doesn't say, if they fast. He says, they will fast. We're them, by the way. And I've always looked at that scripture trying to get direction on what it means. And I think what he's saying is they didn't have to fast. I mean, You would fast to, to have God's presence. But they had his presence. He was with them. The bridegroom, they were the attendants. We're the attendants of the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. He's in their midst all the time. There's no sense to, the, to fast. But when he's gone, they will fast. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, when, not if. First one said that they will, and then this one he says when they fast. That's us, when we fast. This is show of hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many people have a regular discipline of fasting, like real on fasting? I could actually raise my hand now. Two months ago, maybe not so much. (laughs) Jesus fasted. When he he got baptized, came up out of the river, he went into a 40-day fast in the wilderness, right out of the gate. The church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13 fasted. In uh, chapter 14... Paul and his crew are going from place to place to place to place all these different churches that they've planted and they fasted to appoint elders for all these different churches they they sought God in prayer and fasting they sacrificed that they might hear his will for choosing the right excuse me the right people to be the elders in these different churches History tells us that at least for the first I don't know how many hundred years of the Christian church that fasting was just a regular discipline within the church. Typically it was two days a week that Christians would fast. Just what they did. They must have gotten that example from somebody, right? John the Baptist fasted. His disciples fasted. He set, he set the, the precedents. He cleared the way for Jesus. His, his disciples said, hey, how come, you know, we're missing meals and your guys aren't? Jesus said they will. Jesus said when you fast... I think somehow fasting, not completely, of course. There's a lot of Christians that are amazingly sacrificial in fasting. But as a church, the church, it's almost like a lost discipline. It's like for those fringe people, those really you know out-there Christians. But it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be for all Christians. I came across an interesting story. In Minnesota, in the summer of 1876, there was this huge like grasshopper plague that ate up all their crops. And um, it almost devastated the economy of the state of Minnesota. Right back in the 1800s, they were primarily an agriculture economy. Maybe they still are, I don't know. 1877 rolls around, springtime comes, and they're concerned that these grasshoppers are going to rehatch and destroy the crops and the economy. You know, they couldn't deal with it two years in a row. So guess what the, government, the governor of uh, Minnesota does? He calls for a statewide day of prayer and fasting. Now, wouldn't that be a good day today, huh? He calls for a statewide day of prayer and fasting. So they set this day in the springtime that the entire state is going to sacrifice, fast, and pray to God that their c- crops will be safe from these grasshoppers. And what happens the day that they pray? They pray. It gets really, really warm, way, way unseasonably warm. And all the uh, larvae of the grasshoppers start to come up out of the ground. And they're like, holy smokes, you know, we're getting a backwards answer to our prayers. For three days, it was unseasonably warm. And all these little grasshopper larvae came up out of the ground. And the fourth day, the temperatures dropped. The floor came right out of the temperatures and killed all the larvae. They didn't have any grasshopper problem at all that year. Because they prayed and they fasted and God answered. He drew them up out of the ground with the warm days and killed them with the cold days. God responds to fasting. In Isaiah chapter 53, you're probably all very familiar with these scriptures. It's the Lord through Isaiah prophesying Jesus and the price that he's going to pay for all of mankind that would accept him as Lord, that would... Believe by faith that he is who the scriptures say he is. It reads this way, and I'm going to emphasize, add some emphasis. Put the first, put that up there if you would. I just don't know if it's on the screen. It's the 53 scriptures. I'm going out of order. Sorry. Yeah. So when you see sickness, anything in parentheses, that that's my added emphasis. That's that's the other way that those words could have been translated. So it reads, surely our griefs. Or sicknesses he himself, he being Jesus, bore. And our sorrows or pains he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten, struck down of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being, or our peace, that that Hebrew word behind well-being is actually shalom, fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. So we, we know the story of you know, if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, right <laughs> Jesus is mocked, he's taunted, um, he 's stripped. They put the crown on his head with the thorns and they jam it down into his scalp. They take him out into the courtyard and they, and they stretch him across the thing and, and they beat him with this cat when it says by his stripes, by his scourging, they, they hit him with this thing called a cat of nine tails, and it's like a like a handle, like a you know solid handle with these leather strips that come out of it. And then woven into the end of the yellow strips are little pieces of, like, sharp bone, little shards and things. And so when they would take and whip him with that thing, it would cause the, the end pieces to grab onto his flesh, and they literally have to pull the thing back to get it back to hit him the next time. Well, it would just tear his flesh away from his body when he was scored. So we think about how horrible it would be to be pierced and hung from a cross Honestly, I think that's probably the easier of the two. But that's that's the price that was on all of us. That's the price for the sin that we committed that Jesus willingly took in our place. Okay? So he paid for our sickness. He paid for our pain. He paid for our peace, and by that scourging we are healed. But there's Christians all over the place that are sick. There's Christians all over the place that are tormented, that are depressed, that are sad, that have all these things, says in Scripture, that they're paid for. How come? Honestly, I wish I could give you an answer, but I think I can give us a clue. Now let's go back to the Isaiah 58 Scriptures. See, God, in Isaiah 58, he's looking down on Israel, and again, they're in a bad place with him. And he's, he sees them in their fasting, and, and they're, they're all righteous in their own minds in their fast. But while they're fasting and they're sacrificing, they're doing all these evil things. They're not, they're not acting as God would have them to act. And he's like, I don't... Eesh. He says in verses 6 through 12, Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? It's so much like what we see in Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. Then, remember the if and the then. Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach. J.D., you guys could probably come back up here now. i like to do that song again before we go home. I think that fasting sacrifice. I know God desires mercy more than he desires sacrifice, but I think there's a place of finding God, of knowing him more, of bringing about justice in this world, God's justice in this world that we have to sacrifice to get to. I think of Debbie. I think of people that are sick. I think of people that I prayed for. I think of, my gosh, I saw the pictures on your website of the little children in Europe. There's children in Europe that their legs are like this thick. They're just warehoused in these cold and sterile, not probably not sterile at all, but no color, no anything places. I think that God is crying all over us. He's like, come on, come on. I think about the guy in uh, Matthew 17 says, When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. Now, picture that. Picture your son. Well, let me read just a little bit more. He's very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. So here's this guy with his son. He's so demonically overwhelmed that he throws himself in the fire, falls in the fire and gets burned. He falls in the you got to pull him out so he doesn't drown. The guy loves his son. He brought him to the disciples of Jesus. He brought him to us. And we said, get out. Loose him, you demon. And the thing just looked back and laughed. said, no. So this guy brings him to Jesus. Last hope, falls on his knees. It's not just a guy who goes to the clinic and he's like, hey, you know, I got this rash. I got a son that falls in the fire, falls into the water, almost drowns. You got to help me. So Jesus goes on. He says, uh, Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him and the boy was cured at once. Hallelujah. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So that's the gist of it. Prayer and fasting are personal things. If you choose never to pray, other than maybe the witness of your life, nobody's going to know but you. And and you have to decide to fast because it's a sacrifice. I had to to literally repent in my thinking. I'd stand up here, forgive me for this. I, I was telling you as I'm going through this struggle, I have to get this discipline back in my life. I kept telling you how much I hated it. Well, to be honest with you, the really bad part of fasting was the thinking about it. The actual doing it's God gives you a grace for the doing. It doesn't give me much of a grace for the thinking about it, but he gives me a grace for the doing. So last weekend, I fast on Mondays. Um, Typically, most weeks it's Mondays. Some days, weeks it's different. But Monday is my day that I fast. Sometimes more than one day, but for sure Mondays. I started thinking to myself about this stuff. It's like God's going to put somebody in my path, and they're going to get healed because I'm going to fast tomorrow. He's going to put somebody in my path and I'm going to witness truth to them because I'm going to fast tomorrow. I'm going to have more because I'm going to give more. And I started to get joyful. I started to get expecting or expectant about wanting to fast versus, "Oh man, I got to fast tomorrow." It's just the same as when I used to travel for work. If I had to go out of town on a Monday, I'd be like all day Sunday just dreading it. But then when I'd go, it's like not so bad, right? So forgive me. I just ask your forgiveness and Lord, I repent from calling the things that you ask us to do things that I don't want to do. I do, I do, I do. I want more. So, church, you have to decide. You can pray a little. You can pray a lot. You can pray not at all. Likely nobody will know but you. You can fast. Next week I think I'll talk about the actual practice of fasting, a Daniel fast, a... Esther fast, um, all the different ways you can fast. But if it's not a sacrifice, it's not a fast. There's no flesh dying if there's no sacrifice. But as a church, I'm calling you to fast. I'm calling you to sacrifice and give up food, most likely, as a way that we might gain more of the Lord, that we might see the power of His Spirit manifest, that his kingdom come that his will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. These guys, the Moravians, someday I'll figure out how to preach a message on them. The Moravians were this group from present day Germany. I'm not sure it was Germany way back whenever these guys were around. But they had this saying that the Lamb would receive the reward for his suffering through me. And these people were so dedicated to the Lord that some of them found out about these indigenous people somewhere in the islands, like in the Atlantic. But they were slaves to the oh what do you call it, when a country takes like anyway they were slaves to the Europeans that kind of took over their country, right? But they never heard the gospel. They wouldn't allow these people in the church, the, the peep the the people that own the you know their country wouldn't allow them into the church. So the Moravians went to the island And they sold themselves as slaves so that they could be next to the slaves so they could share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That's sacrifice. That's knowing God. You wouldn't do that if you didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Okay. So let's sing this song one more time. Mondays, I'm going to ask you to fast. Now tomorrow, if you want to have a bagel with no butter and that's a fast, I don't care what you do. I'd like you to just consider it. Pray about it today. Consider it for tomorrow. If you're somebody who has fasted or, or is fasting, then as a church, let's fast together. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit's going to stir us and that we'll pray for things that are important to him. I'll tell you right now, Debbie, we need to pray for Debbie. Guys, we've got to pray for Debbie. We've got to pray for that cancer to leave her body. It's just not right. It's just not right. And, and, and if we see somebody that dies of cancer and, and we say, well, it must have just been God's will. I'm telling you, it's not his will. It's not. And we need to learn to stand up for the things that are important to God even when it costs us something. Okay. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that you're giving us keys to unlock your kingdom a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, Lord, that, that you have purpose for us to know. And as we press in, as we seek you with our heart, and with our soul, as we earnestly desire to walk in your ways and to make a difference in this world. See, that's the deal. We can make a difference. We can make a difference. Lord, I pray for the grace to sacrifice, to sacrifice those things that um, Steve said, I think it was Steve last week, about putting them on the altar, those things that aren't of you, that we'll just put them up on the altar and give them to you, that we'll sacrifice a meal or two meals or a day or two days that we might see your power manifest and that the bondages and the terrible things that evil has brought into this world would just be broken by your power through your church. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.